never say die! I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and I think that this situation absolutely requires a really futile and stupid gesture be done on somebody's part. We've been holding to that for 20 years. We are just the guys to do it. Son, fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life. Yeah. Proved him wrong. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so yeah, this, uh, this week we are doing... Animal House versus Neighbors. Yeah, I, that's usually when it's not a direct remake. I get a little cranky, but this is this is a good one. We'll talk. I I agree with both of those. You do get cranky, and this is a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Somebody needs to change Josh's diaper. Indeed. Ew. I'm not, if you'd I'm... like a change, you can check out the great <laughs> podcasts of the Podcast Collective. Uh, such shows as On the Block, Dating Baggage, I Am Salt Lake, and, of course, the Rad Dad Radio Hour. Now, they've requested that I only mention four, but I will not be silenced, and neither will Mint and Boxcast. Here we go. (laughs) I'm not going to do this every week. (laughs) All right, so uh, if you're looking for some of our older stuff, it's an iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TalkShoe. And if you'd like to get in touch with us... 708 now wrap that's 708 669 9727 get in touch with us that was odd so do we have any uh listener feedback i can't remember if there's any activity on the facebook page this week or i don't recall at all because i was drunk most of this week (laughs) it's fair it's a fair cop uh by the time you guys hear this we will already have appeared at lodgecom yeah, that's true. Hope and you enjoyed it. Hope key. you were there. Where people got in touch with Pat. Yes. And we were awesome. We were. And the Geek Arises lost at... Uh, Everything. Oh, yeah. stop that. <laughs> <laughs> Nemesis. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so LodgeCon last week. Nemesai. Nemesis. Ooh, here we go. <laughs> Screw it. It's about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. And sports. Sports. I can't say sports. (laughs) Sports. I can't say it. (laughs) Sports. What's going on? (laughs) Welcome to the part of the show every week where it comes off the fucking rails. I was having trouble with my sports box. Sounded like you said spurts. Oh, man. TV. What happened there? That was funny. Spurts. And spurts. All right. So this week we are looking at July 28th, 1978. That's the release of Animal House. Ah. As as it's known in some circles. Uh, that is entirely a visual joke, so no one's going to get it, but I found it funny. <laughs> All right. Music. Yeah. Music. Top songs of the day are Shadow Dancing by Andy Gibb, Baker Street by Jerry Rafferty, and Miss You by The Rolling Stones. That's good songs. Try, trying to think how Miss You goes. but Yeah, I have no opinion on any of those songs. You don't like Baker Street? I love Baker Street. I, I don't Baker love Baker Street or and Miss any You are very good. I'm uh, just Miss You is a great man. song. You know Miss You, Joel. You know that song. 
I can't think of it. I mean, I, I Baker Street. I like the Foo Fighters version better than the Jerry Rafferty. What? I actually, I, I kind of, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I think, I think the Foo Fighters version is very solid. Plus, I like uh, Dave Grohl's voice for it. But okay. um, Shadow Dancing, yeah, it's just another. Yeah, I was never a big. Song. I was never a big Andy Gibb fan. I like the Bee Gees, but I don't like Andy Gibb. All right, here, let's so here, here's here's a little bit of Miss You, just enough so we don't get arrested. Oh, yeah. Know it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that okay. You used to call it ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be singing it the rest of the night now. All right. Kenny Rogers releases "Love" or something like it, which only had the title track pulled as a single. Biographer Chris Bolton notes in the sleeve notes of the 2009 reissue of the Edsel record label that "I Could Be So Good for You" was Kenny's attempt to go disco. And suggests the disco influence may be the reason only one single was pulled from this album. Didn't Chris Gaines learn anything from Kenny Rogers? I think I the think, answer to that question is no. I think this falls back <laughs> resounding. on the rule again. Uh, resounding no. Ken- Kenny Rogers tried so hard to be so many different things before he finally embraced being a country singer. And now he's being. He tried to be a pop singer too. Yeah, he's I mean, being a plastic when he was doll with. Now. Uh, hmm? Right now he's a plastic doll. Yeah, in a, a chicken man. <laughs> oh, I want some Kenny Rogers roasters. I've never had it. Me either. I want to try it. Are those still? Around? I, I liked them in six pack. Now I want a six pack. <laughs> now, uh, now I want a bunch of tiny mechanics and Kenny Rogers roasters. <laughs> I will feed them Kenny Rogers hey. roasters. Good lord, who wrote this next one? Oh my god! Hey, this is an important moment in, in musical history, so I felt it. It was, it was due. Oh so we're gonna ruin it with the acronym right away. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Let me let me get ready. All right. On July twentieth, Bob Dylan releases his single and the acronym of the week: L A R S. Which, of course, is lick ass, Richard Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> like you have to tell him. <laughs> uh, he's sweating to the oldies. All right, girls, no. let's see that flab go. <laughs> that is <laughs> that, that is like, like a, a Rolling movie. Stone. Yes, mm. I know that one. I love Bob Dylan. Yeah. Okay. All right, featuring a rock sound and an electric backup band off his album "Bring It All Back Home." On July 25th, Dylan performed his first electric concert at the Newport Folk, Fe- Folk Festival, joined by guitar legend Mike Bloomfield and Barry Goldberg of the Electric Flag. Fans were used to seeing Dylan perform to guitar and harmonica. According to Jonathan Templin, a road manager for Dylan, he made a spontaneous decision on the Saturday that he would challenge the festival by performing with a fully amplified band. On the night of the 25th, Dylan's appearance was sandwiched between Cousin Emma and the Sea Island Singers, two decidedly traditional acts. In documentary footage, the sound of both booing and cheering can be heard from a few bars into Dylan's first song, Maggie's Farm, and continues throughout his second song, Like a Rolling Stone. Dylan and his band then performed Phantom Engineer. Dylan was said to have electrified one half of his audience and electrocuted the other. While Dylan and the band left the stage, the sound of booing and clapping could be heard. Dylan did not return to the Newport Festival for 37 years. In an enigmatic gesture, not Dylan performed at Newport in 2002, sporting a wig and fake beard. That was a big, that so was this a big was, deal. Yeah, this was, quote-unquote, the night that uh, Dylan went electric and... A lot of people talk about how, like, that was when he abandoned his, you know, folk roots and all this kind of stuff and made a huge big deal out of it. Because back then, at a folk festival like that, you know, you just didn't play electric. Right. Well, and you think about it, Dylan, 
he went gospel, he went electric, he he's done his own thing. Um, despite he's always been kind of like Ray Charles, he's just gone where the music takes him. Right. And after seeing him live, I mean, he even the songs that everybody knows, he doesn't play them in a traditional sense. So even if you go see him, the songs that you love, you're not going to hear him the way you love him necessarily because he does what he feels is right. Yeah. And he's very much like one of those, you know, what, whatever, whatever mood, whatever feel he has is how he's going to perform the song. Yeah. And he's Bob Dylan. He can do what he wants. Pretty much. Just one of like the greatest the, musical writers of the century. I mean, easily. Um, I, I can't disagree with that at all, at all. Um, I was trying to think of the album that, um, that's my favorite blood on the tracks is my favorite of the batch. But anyway, on July 31st, Zach Brown of the Zach Brown band was born. Ta-da. Do you guys know the Zach Brown band? Are you from, heard of it? I do not. I do. Know I, I've Zach heard Brown of it, band. but I couldn't pull their music out of a crowd. Yeah. They're a, a modern country band that isn't awful. They're not great, but they're not awful. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're all right. Hang on. I'll see. Uh, da, 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 this is. Pretty good one. Okay, maybe that was a terrible one to put up. But they're not the Beaver <laughs> Brown band. Uh, John Cafferty. Yes. He's got a hat. All right. All right. All right. Moving on to movies. The movie Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band premieres in New York City on July 29th, and was terrible. Yeah, it's kind of an abomination. Yeah, I haven't actually seen it. What? Oh, as much as I like the Beatles, most of their movies were not not. No, good. isn't isn't that the one with the Bee Gees? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were, but it's. I mean, it's the Sergeant Pepper's. <laughs> okay, what makes this movie so bad is the fact that it, it was it was done by a, um, I can't even remember his name. He's so insignificant. But this one producer for like a two year period had the rights to. The Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and he was trying so hard to make something out of it, make money out of it, and and the Beatles wouldn't work with him on anything, so they just took this script and and made a fake little like you know they called it Sgt. Pepper's you know and they they named everybody after you know all the characters and everything and they had all, everybody like George Burns and everybody do all these really horrible Beatles covers because the Beatles would have nothing to do with it, and that was how he cashed in on it and yeah, yeah so. It was it's not terrible. really it's not really like Beatles canon, but <laughs> yeah. huh? No, that's really interesting. Yeah. It's 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 got a weird okay. Bee Gees, Peter Frampton, Donald Pleasance, uh, Steve Martin, Aerosmith as the evil band, Alice Cooper, Earth, Wind and Fire, George Burns, and it's. I mean, I guess the the high point of it has got to be Steve Martin singing uh, "Silver Hammer." Yeah. Wow. You got a couple crappy Wookiee costumes. You got a holiday special. <laughs> but much. yeah, Fra- Frampton played um, Billy Shears. Yeah, you know the guy, the guy from uh, Little Help from My Friends, the character. Hmm. Yep. Yep. It's even got a suicide. So it's awesome. Good stuff. All right. <laughs> Carlton Percy Hobbs was an English actor with many film, radio, and television appearances. He portrayed Sherlock Holmes in eighty radio adaptations between nineteen fifty two and nineteen sixty nine. Apart from Holmes, he seldom played the top lead, exceptions being the title role in King John and Hieronimo in The Spanish Tragedy. Hobbs did a good deal of television, and one of the last parts in his 50-year broadcasting career was Shakespeare's Justice Robert Shallow from Henry IV Part II. 
He was appointed an officer of the Order of the British Empire in the 1969 Queen's Birthday Honors for services to drama. He died at the age of 80 on July 31st. Well, that was a good run. Indeed. All Very right. distinguished gentleman. He had all kinds of awards and crap. So. Cool. And crap. And crap. I'm sure he would love to be eulogized as such. <laughs> right. And TV, this month sees the end of a classic. After four seasons, Chico and the Man is canceled. I've never seen an episode. No, oh, I watched it a lot growing up on reruns. It was pretty good. I did not a big Freddie Prinze guy. So, uh, also, A.J. Cook is a Canadian actress known for such movies as 1997's Laser Hawk. With a Z. Yeah. Wishmaster, Beyond the Gates of Hell, and bit parts on uh, Law & Order SUV. SVU. <laughs> burp, burp. Um, the, <laughs> despite being diagnosed with severe, severe astigmatism... <laughs> which wound up uh, with her being declared legally blind. Her dreams of reaching such levels of stardom were achieved, and she was born on July 22nd when she popped out of her mom. Yeah, that's how it usually happens. <laughs> I mean, it could have been somebody else's mom. Maybe. All right, so July 28th, 1978, was a Friday, and if you were sitting down with a big old Jiffy Pop, you'd be watching CBS's The New Adventures of Wonder Woman. NBC's Different Strokes, CBS's The Incredible Hulk, and The Dukes of Hazard from CBS. If I was eating big old Jiffy Pop in 1978, I'd be choking to death because I was two. Oh, uh, I was six. Yeah. Teen. <laughs> <laughs> Watching New Adventures of Wonder Woman and going, that's an interesting feeling. Mm. Mm. She still Sports. looks good. Moving on to sports, not going to talk about my young erections. Aw. <laughs> How could you be disappointed about that? Uh, the young erections die? were a good part of the folk scene at the time. They didn't appreciate Bob. <laughs> they booed him, too. <laughs> on July 23rd, Philadelphia Phillies pitcher Steve Carlton becomes the 78th MLB pitcher to win 200 games in his career. Wow. The New York Yankees' tumultuous 1978 season continues as manager Billy Martin resigns on July 24th following the return of superstar Reggie Jackson from a suspension based on the fractured relationship between the two who have been clashing for two full seasons. Uh, there was In a game, uh, Reggie Jackson was told to, to go up there and swing away, and he went up and bunted instead, and they, and they got into a huge argument on the field. The manager and the player, and Reggie Jackson got suspended for five days. Wow! You know, <laughs> not a, not a good thing when your star and your and your coach don't like each other. I guess not. All right. Yep. Uh, Pete Rose ties the National League record of forty four games for a hitting streak on July twenty or July thirty first. Means forty four straight games he got at least one hit. Huh. Oh, okay. The record being uh, 56 by Joe DiMaggio. Nice. So 40, 44 is pretty impressive. That's the record for the National League, and 56 is the record for all of baseball. On July 30th, the Montreal Expos crushed the Atlanta Braves 19-0, to collecting 28 hits overall and a National League record tying eight home runs. Very nice. So that's it this weekend. All right, so for the then... We watched Animal House. The great Animal House. Yes. 
Uh, this is not a first viewing for any of us. <laughs> of course not. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is the first viewing of this year for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's February, so that's got to be true for me as well. Yep, same here. Been a while. Usually about two, three times a year I'll watch this, but I think. Yeah, I, I, I will watch it minimum of once a year. Yeah. I think between between all of us, I think we could probably recite the entire movie. Yeah. Yeah, easily. I mean, um, this is, for me, this is my honorable mention comedy. Um, of my top 10, this is number 11 comedy of all time. Oh, completely believe it. Spoiler alert, this is going to be a thumbs up from me. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Animal House. Are we, we, we're going to be mentioning the moment of silence for Joel. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, brief moment of silence for Joel. All right, he had, he had to step out and will not be with us for the rest of the episode. Yeah, he's not ill or anything. He just wanted to hit the town, so he's stepping out. <laughs> he's painting, right. the, painting the town rouge. So you want to just go into the uh, description cast, and then we'll come back at uh, yeah. our take. Yeah, so uh, 1962 college, Dean Vernon Wormer is determined to expel the entire Delta fraternity, but those troublemakers have other plans for him, is what IMDb says, but there's a lot more to it as usual. Uh, This is directed by a one John Landis, known for such classics as Blues Brothers, uh, Twilight Zone the movie, which we did, God, that was a while ago we watched that, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. That was in Before 50. Uh, Coming to America, which we also watched. American Werewolf in London, which we need to watch. And uh, other great, I mean, chances are you've got a good, say, 20% chance of a great movie. <laughs> Thinking of a great movie and just being it being one of his. Well, John Landis is a, is a comedy icon. Uh, he's directed, you know, obviously some of the best comedies ever made. Mm-hmm. And, well, and then you've got the film screenwriters. You got uh, Ramos was involved in this, wasn't he? Yep. yep. And he's also yeah. produced some seriously good stuff like Clue. Ramos originally wrote uh, the part of Boone for himself. That is oh, true. okay, that makes sense. That is true. So uh, yeah, so this is uh, starring Tom Hulse as Larry Kroger. Now, you're gonna have to help me. I forget their I forget their uh, nicknames. Larry was. Uh, that's Otter, or not Otter, I'm no. sorry, uh, Pinto. Pinto. Stephen First as Kent Dorfman, Flounder. Flounder. <laughs> Mark Metcalf as Doug Niedermeyer, or as my kid said, that guy from the music video. <laughs> Sergeant at Arms. Yeah. We need a guy like Niedermeyer. Why don't we get yeah. Niedermeyer? <laughs> Why don't we just get Niedermeyer? I don't think that guy's doing anything. <laughs> Uh, Mary Louise Weller as Mandy Pepperidge, Martha Smith as Babs Jensen, James Doughton as Greg Marmalard, Kevin Bacon as Chip Diller, more on that later, John Belushi as John Blutarski, uh, Douglas Kenny as Stork, Chris Miller as Hardbar, Bruce Bonaheim as BB, Karen Allen as, or as my kid said, wasn't she in Raiders? As Katie. <laughs> James Widows is Robert Hoover. Tim Matheson is Eric Stratton. Peter Reichart is Donald Schoenstein. And a Donald Sutherland as Professor, I forgot his name. Jennings. Yeah, Professor Jennings. So, uh, go a little trivia here. This was Kevin Bacon's first film appearance. So, uh, unfortunately, when they went to the premiere... The ushers didn't let him sit with the rest of the cast because they didn't believe he was in it. 
they made him sit in the back behind the cast with everybody else, which had to suck. Yeah. You think you think somebody would be like, hey, no, 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 he's with us. But they're probably just like, you know what, fuck you, sit. Um, but, they're like, you're Kevin Bacon, you're going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to be, trust us, in a little while you'll be all right. Uh, John Belushi's performance in the cafeteria scene was entirely improvised. Uh, when he began piling food on his tray, John Landis urged the camera operator to just stay with him. Uh, the infamous I'm a zit gag was also improvised, and the reaction from the cast is completely genuine. So, uh, more comedic genius from John Belushi, which still makes me sad. Yep. So, also... The wrong Belushi died. <laughs> yeah. But what about the man with one red shoe? Or taking care of business. I know, right? Gotta take care of kids. Who could live without canine? <laughs> All right. I'm sad. You made me choke <laughs> on my rum. The film inspired a short-lived half-hour ABC television sitcom called Delta House, in which Vernon reprised his role as a long-suffering, malevolent Dean Wormer. It also included First as Flounder, McGill as D-Day, and Widows as Hoover. Uh, the pilot episode was written by the film screenwriters Kenny Miller and Ramis, and Michelle Pfeiffer made her acting debut in the series, playing a character called Bombshell. Hmm. Yeah. I had wondered why the uh, cast list uh, failed to mention Bruce McGill. Because uh, I didn't select that many down. No, it's just weird that he's that far down. Well, I, I know D-Day wasn't exactly a central character, but the, I mean, this guy is still working to to like last year. Yeah, you know, you know why? Because it's by um, it was listed in order they showed up. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. So, let's see. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Peter Fox was cast as Otter Belushi's character from the film John Bluto Blutarski is in the army, but his brother Blotto, played by Josh Mostel, transfers to favor to carry on Bluto's tradition. And I had no idea who this was. Outside of them, him being in the movie called Dead Ringer. Who, Josh Mustel? Yeah. Well, yeah, he, he's pretty much only in the business because his father was Zero Mustel. Exactly. Hmm. Oh, God, look at him. He has such a small face. <laughs> All right, so Donald Sutherland, after shooting this movie... Uh, was so convinced of the movie's lack of potential that when offered a percent of the gross or a flat fee for his three days' work, he said, I'll take the 75 grand. And uh, if he had taken the gross percentage, he would have been an additional three to four million dollars richer. Always take the points. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's not always true because, I mean, there's a lot of stinkers these guys yeah. are in that they're way better off taking the cash. David Hasselhoff took a percentage of Star Crash. See where that got him? <laughs> I don't know. I still think it's a good bet. You know what? And that's the thing is you don't, I mean, even if it shows every night, I mean, if it's like the uh, Beastmaster thing, you know, Beastmaster is showing at any one moment all the time on cable. So, you know, there's some, some money coming in. Uh, but Donald Sutherland was still the highest paid actor for this whole movie. Mm-hmm. John, John Belushi was second at 40000 <laughs> Donald Sutherland actually said this was the most fun he's ever had shooting a movie, too, so... Well, because they actually got high during that scene. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other thing was when um, they were shooting that scene where uh, he was over at Karen Allen's house, at Katie's house. Yeah. uh, Initially, Karen Allen was... um, 
hesitant to do the bare ass scene. And then he walked out in that sweater <laughs> where he reaches up to get the tea and he's doing bare ass. And she's like, well, if he can do it. Yep. No yep. So. <clears throat> so, so yeah, I mean, gonna, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, say the whole line, the line's like, I'm not going to go schizo, am I? There's a distinct possibility. <laughs> can I buy some marijuana from you? <laughs> Yeah, this is the classic archetype of the college sex comedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Movies and like Van Wilder and PCU and stuff wouldn't exist if it wasn't for this movie. I agree. Well, I think that exists. They just would have the bar wouldn't be set at the same place. At one point or another, somebody would say we should make a movie about being in college. Okay, true point. And, but it just, I mean, I say, you know, uh, Pat, you and I were talking earlier. It's like, this is just like the perfect storm. I mean, they had initially, you know, like D-Day was supposed to be Dan Aykroyd. You know, they had all these big names outside of um, John Belushi that were supposed to be in it, but then they went with all essentially no names. Yeah, and Chevy Chase was going to be Otter. Yeah, I mean, it was supposed to be like an SNL thing, and they went with everybody that they didn't know. In fact, this movie di- almost did not get greenlit until they got um, uh, Sutherland. Donald Sutherland in there. Huh. Yeah. So when Sutherland came in, they were like, okay, we have a name to this movie. Because otherwise, you know, everyone was like, oh, well, I mean, think about this. John Belushi, yeah, he, we all know he's a comedic genius now. But in 1978, he was just a guy on this show that showed up on every Saturday night. Yeah, he was still unproven and he was known to be a risk and a partier and reckless and everything. And one of the conditions um, that they made with the insurance company was that Belushi and his wife had to stay uh, about a mile and a half away from every, where everybody else was staying to keep him away from the partying and everything. And everything. Cause they did have like crazy ass parties every night. Yeah. So uh, on that, <laughs> so <laughs> there, where is, where did I see that in the, uh, so prepare for their roles, and despite being warned against mixing with the students, the cast of the Deltas, except for John Belushi, who was in New York, he would he would work like f- four days of the week would work on this, and then he'd fly back out to New York to do Saturday Night Live. Um, the rest of the cast accepted an invitation from some girls to a real frat party at the University of Oregon's SAE house. Uh, the real fraternity members treated them with hostility, and a fight broke out. Uh, and James Widows started it. That was uh, Herbert Hoover, or Robert Hoover. Herbert Hoover, that'd be funny. Um, he threw a cup of beer Herbert at them. <laughs> if he had thrown, he actually threw a, a cup of beer at some drunk football players and wound up getting a few teeth knocked out. And Bruce McGill uh, got a black eye. Huh. So when Belushi came back to the set and he found out about it, they had to physically restrain him from seeking revenge on these these <laughs> and i'm kind of thinking how cool and how terrible would it be to have john belushi seeking on revenge on a rampage against you you'd be like oh he's kicking my ass but this is so cool <laughs> except now he'd be like i'm a zombie Ugh. it'd be a lot easier to beat him now yeah you just have too to like- soon <laughs> <laughs> yep so opinions Pat. Oh, I love this movie. I mean, it's, it's, this was the first, uh, I remember, I remember the first time I saw this when I was a kid, it was the first movie I, I ever like saw boobs and laughter and 
just over the top, you know, antics. And I was hooked from the very first time I saw this movie. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's only just it's only gotten better as I get older, and I you know got learned to appreciate different parts of it. And after going to college, learned to appreciate even more parts of it. And now as you know, watching it for like the hundredth time or whatever, you just catch little things that you miss. You know, and you watch you watch little things in the background and stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. This style of movie in general, especially these early ones, when I go back and watch them, they're not as funny as I remember them being. Uh, this is the exception. Yeah. Uh, like I, I went back uh, for the show. We watched Meatballs. I've went back and watched Porky's. Uh, Revenge of the Nerds. I kind of wish I'd never gone back and watched. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, that part in Revenge of the Nerds where we feel good about him raping someone. That's all awesome. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like this one, I go back and I was afraid of the same thing happening. But no, it holds up. That's the thing is that this one is the... It is over the top. It is ridiculous. It is a, uh, it's just a, I don't say, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like every awesome, well, I mean, that's part of the way that they wrote it is, is that every one of the things that's in this movie is, uh, it was written into it after a three month writing stint to put this together. And John Landis and the other scriptwriters. Uh, all got together and they sat for three months and just talked about things that happened in college and built this movie around it. So, well, I, I got I got to correct you a little bit there. John Landis wasn't around for the writing of it. He didn't come in until he was a director. Oh, okay. Because there was some contention between uh, the writers and John Landis himself because he took it over and started calling it his movie, and they mm-hmm. the writers were all like, "Hey, buddy." <laughs> Well, and the these, writer, are, these are our stories. <laughs> yeah, and the writers are you know. Uh, Harold Ramis, Doug, Doug, Douglas Kenny, who also was part of Caddyshack, uh, and Caddyshack 2, Delta House. It's really, Animal House is really the biggest thing he's ever done. Chris Miller, what else did he do? He did Club. Uh, he, he founded, uh, National Lampoon. Oh, hmm. there you go. Nice. <laughs> and he also. So that, that's all. <laughs> that's a something. That's a something. He also wrote Club Paradise. Not everything can be gold. Hey, yeah, Club Paradise <laughs> wasn't terrible. Peter yeah, O'Toole it was It was just very mediocre. Yeah, it was all right. So, but yeah, so this, I mean, it it is. I think what the what makes it awesome is that it's the we go back and we think about things that we did in college, and we're like, oh man, it was awesome when this sort of thing happened. But we pluck out only the awesome parts of it. We don't remember the terrible things. I think that's what this is. It's just a gold covered memory of these guys being in college i remember the terrible things yeah i do too sadly yeah but if you're gonna put them in a movie (laughs) they haunt me (laughs) (laughs) to this day the eyes the eyes (laughs) so like i remember the day they showed up at my dorm room and said hey you can't stay here anymore (laughs) that was hilarious It jumped out the window and all that. I was like, oh, come on, guys. And they're like, no, we mean it. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right, that got dark. (laughs) Animal House. (laughs) A terrible friggin' song. (laughs) Oh, we got to write a new verse to the song. They're here to take me out on the street. <laughs> I got no home and nothing to eat. 
<laughs> oh Jesus! It's kind of writes me. itself. You guys I mean, are killing me. I, we could go through the plot, but it's very simple plot beats. I mean, you've got frat does crazy things. Uh, they're on probation, going to get kicked off campus. Uh, they end up. Uh, deciding to throw a massive rager after it's clear they're getting kicked off campus no matter what they do, and uh, they show up all of their enemies in the final scenes. Yeah, and it's the fantastic (laughs) how would you take revenge on your school? We totally wrecked their homecoming parade by driving this awesome death tank down the middle of it. (laughs) You know? And it's there's the archetype. Every, every year the, the the swimming pool is full of fizzies. <laughs> no, it's every every year every Halloween the trees are full of underwear <laughs> and every spring all the toilets explode. <laughs> who oh that's right, who dumped a truckload of fizzies <laughs> into in the, the, in the swimming pool at the swim meet? <laughs> You're talking about Delta, sir. Of course I'm talking about Delta. That's and and the thing is, like, everybody's got the archetype. I mean, Dean Wormer is the cranky, you know, out to get you. Just... <laughs> the time has come for someone to put their foot down, and that foot is me. Oh, you know who, honestly? It's just such a quotable movie. There's, I mean, there's so many great quotes. That is. And the characters themselves, honestly, I think out of the whole team, I, I mean, the whole group, I know Bluto was fantastic, but Dorfman... Flounder. Flounder. <laughs> fucking, fucking Flounder. Kent Dorfman. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Just a little wave. Hello. <laughs> 1.2. Fat, drunken, stupid is no way to go through life. <laughs> oh, so favorite scene. Josh, what about you, man? Oh, I, I was just—I I just when we were going through the characters, I was just Eric Stratton, Rush Chairman. Damn glad to meet you. <laughs> that was Eric Stratton, Rush Chairman. Damn glad he's damn glad to meet you. Uh, D Day on the motorcycle is one of the favorites. Oh man, between that and uh, Bluto destroying the guitar. Oh, that was fantastic. I, I'm gonna have to go with the guitar. The hey hey Paula. No, no, no. That was no, I, no, gave no, no, I gave my, my love, love a cherry. That's right. Cherry. It was I gave my love a cherry. <laughs> the best the best thing about that whole scene is the look on his face when he's listening to him. He's just like like is, am I hearing this? <laughs> you know, an, an an interesting uh serious side note here. I just read something recently it was comparing uh comedy o- old school comedy to new school comedy and it was talking about how like if uh, if Animal House was written today the protagonist would be the guy playing the guitar, not the guy getting the guitar smashed. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's actually, cause like now it's like more about, you know, comedy, comedy is more about being the victim than the, the, the victor. Yeah. That's kind of, depressing. I don't know. I, I think that's kind of people of our generation, the, eh, these kids, blah, 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 which is no truer for our generation than it has been for any of the countless that came before it. Well, I, I don't think that, I don't, I don't think that was any kind of, it wasn't any kind of one is better than the other. It was just a, an analyzation. I, I don't know. I think the accusation that millennials like to play the victim is lazy and usually not true. Yeah. Well, it's just like Gen Xers don't have any direction. Come on. Well, when you name yourself the slacker generation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plus, you're talking to the wrong two guys to disprove Yeah, that. I know. Really. Yeah, I, was like, thinking, I, was, I was like, I can't really, you know, it's not like I have a whole lot of drive, so. 
But anyway, before we get too dark again, let's continue on with how great this movie is. Yeah, I was going to say, my current college movie is Back to School. <laughs> Only now I'm Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> oh, so... Just remember, Josh, you're a melon. <laughs> so almost, almost kind of against my better judgment, which is pretty much the theme of my life, um, I, let, <laughs> I let Katie watch this along with us, my 16-year-old, which my, my personal... Like okay, this this should be cool because my mom and dad at this age let me watch Cheech and Chong movies. So how much worse can this be? Um, she thought it was friggin' hilarious. She's quoting it now. Yeah, and this this movie, I mean, it's got a couple of touch and go moments, but there's nothing in this movie that's worse than you're going to see in the R-rated movie today. Yeah, we played this movie in a uh, high school class for juniors and seniors when I was in special education. Obviously, it was the typical, like, BD high-function class that I usually was involved in teaching. Mm. But, uh, yeah, they they thought it was awesome. Well, that's the thing. It's like there's no there's no downtime. I mean, even when you have a transition from that one scene to the next, suddenly you're, you know, uh, Marmalade is getting dropping off his girlfriend, and next thing you know, Bluto's running around with a conveniently placed ladder, which is one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> <laughs> just, I don't, you know, it's one of those where it's like I, I'm kind of iffy about the whole thing. Oh man, is this gonna be? And then he turns and he gives and he looks directly at the camera and does that little eye that the eye with the little wink. Right. As soon as she starts, you know, moving her hands southerly, he yeah, does that just, turn to the camera like. Mm. I mean, this this movie is completely like you said, completely class, completely quotable. Um. One of the characters that I think did not, I didn't realize I loved as much as I do in this one was, um, who are the well-known homosexuals? I just lost his name. Otter? Donald, Donald Schoenstein. Donald. Schoenstein? Yeah, Donald. Peter Reichardt? Oh, you're talking about, um, uh, Boone. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. He's, I didn't realize how friggin' hilarious he is. Yeah, he's so good. When Otis is singing and he's standing there with the, with the sunglasses singing to the beer bottle. <laughs> One one of the best cuts in the entire movie is when the whole group is going, Toga, 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 and then they cut to Boone. He's like, it's not going to be an orgy. (laughs) Uh, Pat, what was your favorite scene since we've gotten that question answered from me and Mike? Um, The close, close second is the cafeteria scene where Bluto is going through the line and loading his tray and loading his pockets and loading his mouth. That is a very close second, but... I'd have to go probably um, the combination scene of the Dexter Lake Club followed by the scene in the garage when they're comforting Flounder after destroying the car. <laughs> Just the, that, that 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 juxtaposition between the two scenes when they're all, they're like, "What school do you go to? <laughs> and you mind if we dance with your dates?" That whole scene and how they run out of there and everything, yeah, and certainly. the girls are walking back, and she's like, "I thought Frank was kind of cute," you know. And then they cut to the garage where where Flounder's freaking out about his car, about his brother's car, and it's just the two lines that are just so perfect that I, I, I quote them all the time in my daily life. It's like the one being, "Face it, you fucked up. You trusted us." <laughs> <laughs> And then the other one being, my advice to you is to start drinking heavily. Yeah, you should listen to him. He's pre-med. 
Uh, one of the one of the uh, trivia's about that one also is when uh, Belushi was trying to uh, cheer up the Dorfman, but he when he would take the bottle and smash it up against his head, they said they had to do that like a dozen times because every single time Stephen First would start laughing. <laughs> you know, I mean, and how good of an actor do you have to be? You know, it's like, hey, John Belushi is trying to cheer you up. Don't let him do it. Right. Okay. That sounds good. <laughs> keep, so- keep sobbing by one of, while one of the funniest men in existence tries to make you laugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, something else I noticed is Tim Matheson, or, or rather Eric Stratton's character, reminded me of Paul Rudd. <laughs> oh, I could see that now. Yeah, I mean Eric. I mean not not so much Tim Matheson, but Eric Stratton. I could if they were to remake this movie ten years ago when. Paul Rudd was younger. I could totally see that char- uh, him playing that character again. <laughs> that great scene when he um, has uh, Mrs. Wormer up in his room, and he's trying to be all suave, and he just keeps screwing everything up, like no. missing the ice. When and he like, throws the ice in the glass, and it pops right <laughs> out of the glass, and he's kind of like, where'd that go? <laughs> <laughs> see, that's the thing, though, is that there's so many little things in this. I mean, they let these guys go. Just, you know, here's here's the general idea. Here's your lines. Go with it. But uh, I just I I could talk about this movie for longer than this movie is because I think this is just a, this is the this is the Caddyshack of okay okay let me let me back up a little bit um somebody once asked I think it was Adam Sandler it might it, it might it might have been no it was um Adam McKay the guy who directed Anchorman he said hey when are you going to make a, a movie a, a comedy about golf and he says why am I going to do that the perfect comedy about golf has already been made. You know, yeah. talking about Caddyshack. And I was like, I feel that way about this movie. It's like, why do you want to make another uh, college comedy? This is the perfect college comedy. Mm-hmm. And I'm still amazed at the fact that it holds up so much. I mean, Josh, to, talk, to call back to what you were talking about, it, it, there's so many movies that we've watched and we've been like, oh, I remember liking this a lot. Well, I mean, a perfect example is, I mean, remember, remember PCU. That movie was made 20 years ago, and it's already more dated than this movie. That's true, and I did not hate PCU as much as a lot of people did. Yeah, I don't really hate that movie. I actually kind of enjoy it. I have not seen it. But it is really, I mean, it, you, you, you could watch the two of them, and it is much more dated than Animal House, which yes, predates it by 20 years or so. Absolutely. Animal House holds up 100 times better. Nice. Um, Josh, did you recognize uh, Marmalade? We've seen him before. James Dunn. Uh, sure I have. Spies like us. He was one of the uh, Russian spies. Ah, that's where. Okay. Yeah. So he hung out with those son of comedies for a while. He hasn't done anything since like uh, 2002. So, but uh, but no. I mean this. I mean oh, the only thing I think that makes this this movie anything that would draw it down is that damn song at the end. Yeah. Yeah, the Animal House theme song is not very good. No. No. But the soundtrack, other than that song, is phenomenal. Oh yeah, hmm. oh uh, Morris Day, uh, not not Morris Day, uh, Otis Day. O- Otis Day. Um, that's not his name. Yeah, yeah, dude changed his name based on the popularity of that character. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, he changed his name. His I don't I don't remember what his previous name was, but he changed his name to match up with his name in this, and has been touring as Otis Day in the Nights for the rest of his life. Just why not? Because because. Yeah, I mean, Wait till Otis sees, sees us. us. He loves he us. us. <laughs> we we are, are going, going to, to die. die. <laughs> and, 
That's another one of my favorite trivia questions, by the way, in, from that scene, is what was the order that Boone made at the bar? Oh, I forget. It was one thing and seven of another. <laughs> yeah, a double rock and rye and seven carlings. <laughs> Jesus. You have seen this too many times. <laughs> All right. Do we have any more? I mean, we can. I mean, we could go on for the rest of the night to talk about this one. But do we... I think we've said what needs to be said in order to make the comparison, though. Oh, here's a question for you. Now, Joel's not here. He can't answer this one. But if you were to parallel, because honestly, I think for us on campus, we are pretty much the closest thing to Animal House that they had on our stupid little one one square block college. If you add Face and Jose, yes. That's true. <laughs> we we would have to just by nature just take them in just for... <laughs> just for the fact. They're honorary members. Honorary members? Okay. Well, who's who? Who's, who is our Bluto? Um, that's actually... Though I'm very much unlike him now at the time, that was probably me. I agree with that. You are a yeah. Bluto. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, who was Pat? Niedermeyer. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Eh, we'll think about that. Otter or Boone? Well, I, I was going to say he was our Donald Sutherland. <laughs> <laughs> High and 20 years older than everyone else. <laughs> I, knew, I knew those were the two things you were going to go with. Of course. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he was the guy that brought the pot and was older, old enough to buy everybody alcohol. That's the angle I thought you were going to go with. But. Fantastic. I was going to put, uh, since he's not here, Joel is a uh, flounder, just because. Oh, don't well, do that. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> no, Joel was Pinto. Yeah. Just the quiet, quiet, mostly innocent guy. Yeah, especially in that one scene where she, where um, Boone is trying to, trying to get Katie to... Uh, Hook him up with a loose, a loose date. Because yeah. Joel is a hundred percent the guy who sits there with the woman passed out, and he has the actual conversation with his his good and his bad side about what he's going to do. Yeah. Except, except for Joel would would not just ring the doorbell and run. He would like like <laughs> drop her off at the house and explain exactly what happened and fill out the, all the requisite forms for the you know, <laughs> and just make sure everything's completely fine before he left. Because Joel's a good guy, whether he wants to admit it or not. He is. All right. And that leaves us with Mike. Who, of course, is Jug Dish. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ, how long were you sitting there waiting for me to say something? I was just making sure you guys were quiet so nobody stomped on that. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, fuck. You know, Sydney. Jugdish, Muhammad. Yes, we've met. Then you should have plenty to talk about. Super, you'll have lots to talk about. <laughs> oh. oh my God, no! I well, I mean, seeing as you were the RA, you're de- you you definitely would have to be Hoover. Yeah, because <laughs> there's so many times in that movie where I'm watching, I'm like, I totally understand him. <laughs> you're like, guys, no, no toga party, no, no come no, on, come on. Come on, turn on when they're all when they're in the hearing. Can you shut those assholes up? Hey, shut up, assholes! And that would be me. Yeah, it totally would. Uh, you're, like, you're like Pat. Tell those assholes to shut up. Yeah. Shut up, assholes! That. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. All right. 
Well, let's close this out, and when we come back, we are going to talk about the 2014 Neighbors. Absolutely. Be back in a bit. All right, we're back, and we are now going on about Neighbors, 2014 comedy. Yeah, it's kind of a take on what happens when people who are getting, they've got their own family, they're getting into 30s, approaching middle age, and they have Animal House move in next door. Yeah. (laughs) Now, initially, when I was started watching this, my first thought after like the first maybe 15 minutes was we should have watched old school. But the longer I watched it, the more I got into it. So this... I didn't even think about that. Old school would have been great. Huh. See, I, I liked this way better than old school, but... Well, I mean... No, I'm just saying like a great counterpart to Animal House is all I'm saying. Yeah. Sure. Well, I think this almost uh, embodies like where we are now. Like we lived Animal House and we're much more like Seth Rogen right now. Right. So, directed by Nicholas Stoller, known for Get Him to the Greek, The Muppets, Yes Man. Uh, he wrote the screenplay to Sex Tape. Did we watch that for the show? For the Cameron Diaz show, you might have watched Oh, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, let's not bring up that show again. We got so much shit for that. Um, <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, written by uh, Andrew J. Cohen, uh, known for 40-Year-Old Virgin, uh, the Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates, which is on my list of movies to watch. <clears throat> and what's the other guy's name? Brendan O'Brien, starring Seth Rogen as Mac, Rose Byrne as Kelly, Zach Efron is Teddy Sanders, and Dave, I sound just like my brother Franco, <laughs> as Pete, Christopher Mintzplasa, Scooney. Plus. Mintzplas. Uh, Scooney, and who else we got here? Hannibal Buress uh, yeah. is Officer, Officer Watkins, Jake Johnson. There's a lot of cameos in this. You know, you have, uh, Blake Anderson from, um, Workaholic shows up. Uh, you've got Andy Samberg shows up in flashbacks and that sort of thing too. So Lisa Kudrow plays the Dean. Oh yes. Why is her name? Who's, who's a woman named Dean? That's not her <laughs> is name. Is it just Adam and Blake in the beer pong or is it the entire cast of, uh, uh, Workaholics? I didn't see the other dude with the crazy hair. I didn't see him. No, no, no. Which Blake. seems weird. Well, who's, it's Blake Anderson, Anders Holm, and Adam Devine, who is one of the other three guys on Workaholics. Well, he was there, I guess. He's he's, crit- he's listed, so. Well, he or was the d- guy who was drinking the beer. Yeah, he was the oh, guy. I, oh, yeah. no, Blake Anderson's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, I didn't see him. No, I didn't no. notice him. Yeah, Blake Anderson was there. He was standing to the right side of the, uh, right side of the beer pong thing. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so it, it was it was all of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Kyle Newichek, who's one of the writers on Workaholics, he was on there too. Okay, cool. So yeah, the beer pong scene was pretty much the Workaholics guys. Yeah. And, and the, then yeah, Andy Samberg, Akiva Schaefer, and uh, all in the Toga Party. That's a uh, Lonely Island. Mm-hmm. All right. So, but yeah, a lot of cameos, a lot of cool things going on. So here's here's the thing. 
on this movie. Uh, well, the thing, the plot, that's what it's called. So after they're forced to live next to a fraternity house, a couple with a newborn baby do whatever they can to take them down. And I think that is an incredibly reductive... Well, it's an IMDb description, so they're all incredibly reductive. That's fair. I mean, it, it just misrepresents the movie. I mean, this isn't great cinema, but it's... I guess that's the major plot beat, but there's a lot more going on here, and I like this way more than I thought I would. Spoilers. This, this took a little bit for me to get... To get to, what are you doing? Are you, what are, is going on? Are you shrink-wrapping yourself? What the hell are you doing? What? Sounds like you're shrink-wrapping yourself. <laughs> or unwrapping a Twinkie directly on the microphone? No, I may have accidentally just rubbed my hand over the microphone. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah. But Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and one another thing I found interesting was the reception to this movie. In general, it was not overwhelmingly positive from critics, but it was lukewarm to positive. And then you look at audience scores, and people are trashing this thing. Like uh, I think it's a uh, ten point difference on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. You look at uh, all the top IMDb reviews; they're all one star. Yeah, I don't understand why there's a lot of hatred for this movie. Uh, It is low comedy, but uh, I'm going to be the first to jump out and say I I dislike lowbrow comedy, but it never really descends completely into toilet humor. You've got a little bit of it maybe with them having a sword fight. Yeah. But even even that was just so – I mean, it was 10 seconds of screen time. Right. I think think if you're looking for anything worse than that, it's got to be the breast milk scene. Which, yeah, because that was much longer <laughs> and much more drawn out. And honestly, or, the, or, the, or the dick choker, the dick choker was kind of strange. But <laughs> the breast milk scene was pretty fucking funny. Neither of you have children, <laughs> but trust me, for a, a dad who's going through that was friggin' hilarious. <laughs> Especially when he how tells do, her to get on. How all do I milk you? Get on your hands get and on, knees. Get on your hands and knees. What are you talking? About? I'm not a cow. Just milk me in the normal way. There's no normal way to milk a human. <laughs> when he goes, no, wait, I'm going to call my mom. You <laughs> what will is it with not. Jewish people and their, or Jewish boys and their, their mothers? mothers. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, uh, but no, I mean, it's, it, there were some slow portions of it. You know, it didn't, it didn't, I mean, like in the previous, like Animal House, we had talked about it being, you know, up all the time, just knocking itself out with, you know, making yourself laugh. There were some downtimes on this. And, you know, like the, the scene where they're right after the, um, the airbags when they get into the fight that mm-hmm. really, oh, wow. well, they get into the fight and it doesn't, next scene, they're all made up. Well, well that, it's that, because they said some shit they really didn't mean and she stormed out and they both realized, okay, that went way too far. Yeah. That but, went way too far could be one of the themes of this film. Yeah. Right. And it would have been really easy for them to either make the couple too lame or the kids too dumb and have you actively rooting against one of the sides. And they took the time for you to be able to see, okay, they're both being kind of dumb. They're both letting this get out of hand. You understand where they're both coming from. And it actually focuses on relationships between the two characters, how Teddy is actually hurt by the fact that they called the cops, the relationship between Teddy and Pete. I found that the fact that they were focusing on those relationships uh, really odd for a movie uh, where a guy uh, dispels a fight by popping a boner. 
not unwelcome, but just like I was like, you could have gotten away without this stuff, and I'm kind of yeah, glad there, you put it in. There were some subtle nuances that the movie didn't actually need, but it had it anyway. Right, and I think that those subtle nuances added to my enjoyment of it overall and taking yeah. it seriously. You guys want to go over trivia real quick? Yeah, oh, yeah. let's do that. So, uh, go ahead. Say, you want me to uh, read it? You want to go? Okay. Now you go ahead, man. All of the actors took major pay cuts in order to help save money for the budget, in particular Seth Rogen and Zac Efron. I don't know. There's no numbers here or anything. So, but yeah. Nice. I guess, I guess in order for them to all work together, because I know this movie, Seth and, and Zach, they, they actually had been looking to make a movie together, and this one kind of came together, so I'm, I'm assuming that's why they took the pay cuts. Um, the film was originally written as Mac and his friends going against the fraternity, but after Seth Rogen's wife read the script, she said that his friends would not care about the fraternity war and suggested writing Mac's wife into the script instead. A very strong choice. Yep. Um, this is a big departure uh, for Rose Byrne, and I liked her in it a lot. Yeah, and I like that they didn't they didn't bother to like make her you know do some fake English or fake American accent. They just wrote it into the storyline that she's an exchange student. Done. Moving on, Seth Rogen said that the baby eating the condom made him laugh till he cried. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. No. As like, I, I hate to say it, but as a parent, yeah, I would. I I was laughing and aghast at the same time with that <laughs> one because I'm like, yeah, that's pretty freaking funny. But at the same time, I probably would flip my shit. <laughs> like be like them running through the hospital. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'd be that, but I think if, the, but I do think if the doctor came in and said your baby has HIV. That's how this could have ended. I personally think that if the doctor had tried that, Suzanne would have shanked him before he got that last last uh, syllable out. Yep. And the final scene between Mac and Teddy outside of the Abercrombie and Fitch store was completely improvised. Zach Efron had no idea that Seth Rogen would take off his shirt. However, the rest of the world kind of assumed it was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Just like... See, I Seth have, Rogen's another one of those guys that will go all out for a joke. Yeah. I kind of have this love-hate relationship with Seth Rogen. I mean, there's some movies I've seen him in where I'm just like, I love him. Like, when his character in uh, 40-Year-Old Virgin, I thought was a riot. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> but there's some other movies where I'm just not, I'm not sold on him. Have you seen This Is The End? Yeah, I have seen that. He was okay in that. I mean, I'd like um, Zach and Mary make a porno. I thought he was friggin' hilarious. <laughs> I thought he was good and knocked up. Yeah. I have not seen Knocked Up yet. Should I put that on my list? Yeah, I think that, strangely, I, I got given it as a DVD for some reason. I think <laughs> I think I own that. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me. I don't either. Like, that, that hit your funny bone. I, I think it was just one of those random, like, my brother saw it for a dollar... And I was like, oh, I got to add something to a Christmas gift. Here here we go. This looked funny. No, I just had an idea of it like being your dad. Like, you're, here, watch this. Let's <laughs> just take this in. This is what happens when a fat guy with glasses and curly hair ends up with a hot woman. <laughs> <sighs> so, yeah, um, Pineapple Express is another one that he's, he's pretty good at. I mean, I, I, I like Seth Rogen. I don't have a problem with him. I mean, yeah, some of his stuff pushes the envelope into the territory of the joke's gone too far. Mm. I would agree with that. 
Yeah. He's got a little bit of the a uh, little bit of the Jack Black in him. Well, I don't say he's got the little the little bit of the Jack Black in him. I think he's just got occasionally people are like let him do whatever he wants and then you wind up with sausage party. Well, yeah, and the scene uh in this case, he wasn't even in it, but the scene between uh Zach Efron and Dave Franco when they're going back and forth with the rhymes, a variation on that scene has appeared in a bunch of Seth Rogen movies. Yeah. Where it's like you're just going back and forth with stupid one-liners mm-hmm. to they the point hate- where you know you've pushed the joke too far. They and and honestly, it's something that the editor probably should have cut out and left on the cutting room floor and put in like the extras, the DVD, you know, section. They hate us because they ain't us. <laughs> Nobody says that. <laughs> they hate us because they ain't us? So, but no, so... <clears throat> Going through this one, so here's the deal. Seth and Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne are Mac and Kelly Radner. Just bought a brand new house, live in the perfect little suburban neighborhood. They have a house for sale next door. And they're, you know, excited to find out a new, you know, what their new neighbor is going to be. And it winds up getting sold to a fraternity, which that's the first portion where I had to hold my disbelief. Well, yeah, there are definite laws as to where a fraternity can buy a house. You have to be within X amount of distance of the school. Yeah, yeah but you're going to forgive what happened in Animal House. I, I think that's something. Oh, yeah. There, there's right. a bunch it's, of things strain plausibility in both films. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying that I it it ruined it for me. I'm just saying that's the first point where you went. Ah, well, okay, whatever. You know, we'll run with that. <clears throat> uh, so. They show up and they want to be the cool next door neighbors because they know they're in their they're in their thirties. They have a kid, they have a house. They're like, okay, well, you know, old age. I don't say old age, but because I'm older than that. Um, yeah, they don't want to be the dick neighbors. That right. they, they're basically trying not to start a feud. Right. So they come over, they offer them a joint, they try and be cool to them, they hang out with them and party with them. Just and, you know, keep it down. Just keep it down. <laughs> just you said. Why would you say keep it down? Keep it- Keep it down. Just keep it down. <laughs> so it was you when they finally get there, she just shouts at him, Keep it down. <laughs> yeah, and I have had the moment where you decide to call your cops on uh, the cops on problem neighbors and hope to God they can't figure out it's you. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and that's another portion where I was just like, What the hell? When the cop shows up and he literally points at the house. Yeah. And they go <laughs> knock on the door and like you call the cops on these guys, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not supposed to do that. But, you know, I can't be any way frustrated with that scene because Hannibal Burris is hilarious in everything he's in. Oh, the yeah. cops. We got caller ID. Everybody's got caller ID. <laughs> you're the boy who cried wolf. Don't ever call us again. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're the, the police. <laughs> I have, I and, and no surprise, as the guy with the house and the kids, I have called the cops on my neighbors. Um... I have gone through the process of going next door and saying, well, not next door, across the, st- across the street and saying, can you please turn it down? It's 1030 at night. We need to get some sleep. Okay, fine, whatever. He was showing. So what his solution was, was to close the garage door and showing off the sound system in his car, which made the dishes in my kitchen rattle <laughs> because the base was so big. It was just like, boom, and I could hear the dishes go. And I was just like, I finally had one point. After the second time, I called the cops. I'm like, look, hey, my dishes are rattling. He's across the street with the garage door shut. And the cop's like, really? 
So that, that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, he doesn't. He I, was that muscle. And the, guy. the funny thing is, is they did what you did. The we're gonna talk to you first out of respect, and then end up calling the cops. Which I think, in a lot of ways, like if you're worried about starting a feud with your neighbor, is the wrong way to do it. You either always go over and say, "Hey, keep it down." Or you just go straight to calling the cops. And in different places I've lived, I've done both. Like here in my house, we've only got one problem house, a rednecks across the street. I, I was like, the first time at uh, midnight, they were blasting their music. I was like, fuck it. I'm going straight to calling the cops. We're not, we're not going to have our lights on. We're not going to be looking out the window. Yeah, see, that was another one of those things. Like, if you're going to call the cops, don't stand at the biggest window in the house with the lights on right below your face watching. Yeah. You know, call the cops, go back to bed, let them do. That's a reason why they, you know, that's their job. They handle it. So, but going back to the movie, <clears throat> uh, first off, Rose Byrne is hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I say this, I really love her accent. Yes. <laughs> She's fantastic. I kind of also like Dave Franco's accent. It kind of sounds like his brother. <laughs> so You broke the circle of trust, fucker. <laughs> That's, you and, upset Jigsy Cat. And uh, one of my favorite moments of this was when uh, Kelly decides that they're going to take down the the uh, frat from inside by getting um, is it Paula? Was it Paula the girlfriend? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, Brooke. Brooke, yeah, yeah. Getting Brooke and Pete to hook up to to get to to get to Teddy when she starts making out with the two of them, and uh, Max sees her from across the room, and he's like. Can can I make out with people? <laughs> Especially with the music, because as soon as she starts kissing Brooke, the music changes to "Oh shit!" Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's and you know what the thing is is like they did they did follow the rules. I mean, it's like in their defense, like as a guy with the house, Teddy said, "Call me if it gets too loud." They call him ten times. They're obviously not call- not picking up the phone. They call the cops. You know. But they broke the circle of trust. They broke the circle of trust. And when he gave him the walkie talkies, I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was something that like, obviously they really thought that the, they were cool and uh, were happy to have them next door. So you see both sides. But later when Zac Efron comes back, it's like Teddy's an idea and you're going to have a frat living next to you as your daughter grows up. That's one of these where it's like, OK, I see both. Uh, sides of this, I hold no ill will towards the frat boys, but the frat has to fucking go. Oh yeah, trust me. When 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 he showed up and he was like, "Yeah, your little girls are going to be growing up right next door to us, and we're going to be watching." At that point, I was kind of like, "You motherfucker, <laughs> that's <laughs> like that's not cool." I mean, that's not. I mean, that's not. I mean, you can tell that definitely at that point that uh, Teddy has some serious issues with the fact that he's graduating, like like Pete called him out on, you know. And there's and uh, Josh, I agree with you on that. There was a lot, a lot more character development in this than I was expecting. Yeah, and especially when you read the negative reviews that say there's nothing of substance in this, there's nothing funny. I, I disagree. So a lot of the laughs are lowbrow sex comedy laughs or slapstick stuff. Mm-hmm. Dude, the fucking airbags got me. Yes, yeah. they did. When he goes through this, when he goes through the ceiling, at <laughs> they work, have the upper hand. They have the upper hand. Oh my god! And then when his when his friend blows through the ceiling out back, that wasn't as bad as it looked. <laughs> 
<laughs> he immediately collapses. <laughs> that was fantastic. I mean, and him walk. I mean, him walking around the house. Now it did get kind of weird for me when he went to the crib and was checking the crib because I'm like, they please don't let them be so low that they would do that. But that was kind of the, kind of the point of that scene was. I mean, you could even see it in his face. He, he's like, you know, just relieved. He's like, okay, I know these guys are not like completely gone. You know, right. Plus, they'd already found four airbags. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you got to do it anyway. It's your kid's crib. Right. But you found all four of them. Mm-hmm. It would have been way too way too much if they had actually done it. I mean, you know, it adva- it adva- it turns it, it definitely takes away the ability of of saying you can see both sides if they were to rig the crib. Yeah, that way you because you would lose complete all all sympathy for the frat would just disappear at that point. Exactly. Well, and the climax. It's funny because if they had let things go at the hookup scene, like. Uh, not tried to get the frat kicked out, not sent in ass juice as a plant, trying to get the uh, the pledge to burn everything. They had kind of mended their relationship with the frat. They could uh, say, you know what, guys, everything was fun. Let's just remember we have an infant. Mm-hmm. But they let shit get out of control again. And then they're on the collision course with that finale. Yeah. I mean, it was, it did seem like it was that point where instead of just letting it die, all right, you guys won, fine, we're done. Like you said, no, we gotta, we're gonna bust your water pipe. You know, oh no, we're going to, you know, we're gonna take all the airbags out of your car. I mean, that, that sort of thing. I mean, each of them did that whole, ex- a little bit of extension, one little more thing that they could have, that they could have just not done to make it end. But at the same time, it all led up to, Seth Rogen and Zach Efron having a fantastic fight. Well, yeah, and the- then Kelly shoots a cop car with the fireworks, and Zach Efron isn't even mad. He's just like, well played. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say, in the fight, the point that where I laughed the most was when uh, Mac threw the, the beer can at uh, Teddy, and he just whoosh, and caught it. <laughs> Yeah. Whipped it back at him. It bounced off the trampoline and hit him right back in the head. <laughs> and then all the little snippet conversations in this, like when they're wrestling, they're fighting and they fall on the bed and, and uh, Seth Rogen's like, who still has a waterbed? <laughs> uh, but no, you know what? I, I, I will say in the very beginning, it was, it, Mac and Kelly were cringy to me. They were so desperate to be still remain the cool, to, to remain cool. Yeah, baby's first rave. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> we're gonna go to a rave, and then of course, I I completely left my ass off when they were like passed out at the front door trying to get all that shit together to go anywhere. <laughs> right. Um, I showed the I you know I showed the uh the breast milk scene to Suzanne, and she laughed her ass off at it. Yeah, Sarah <laughs> thought that was really funny too. Yeah, because I I will say. There may come a day, and you guys will completely understand why that was so damn funny. Because <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of a weird place that I just went to, so I'll just leave that there. <laughs> but I didn't expect. I will say, like I said earlier, in the first fifteen minutes, I was tempt. I was going through the entire f- first fifteen minutes, going, "We should have watched old school. We should have watched old school. We should have watched old school." And then as it got on. Mac and Kelly, as for as annoying as they were as trying to be cool, they still kind of grew on me. I love the line when he first sees Zach Efron. He's like, 
He looks like he was made in a gay guy's laboratory. <laughs> or at the very end. Oh, you're looking good. Yeah, because like your entire body is like one big arrow pointing at your dick. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the thing is at the beginning, it was them trying too hard to appear cool without really knowing how. Mm-hmm. But they get a couple drinks in them at that first party. And I honestly think the frat guys thought they were legit cool. Yeah. yeah. No, it totally was. If they had, if they had left it at that point, it would have been fine. I mean, you think if, if, uh, Teddy had picked up the phone in that first, in that first, uh, well, that would have been the real test. Like if he had picked up the phone, would they have turned the music down? Would they have stopped partying? If Mac had walked over. Right. Uh, I mean, that, that's the thing. But I mean, if you do that, uh, there's no more movie. Yeah, and, again, and again, talking about the whole suspension of disbelief and the whole, yeah, there's no more movie if you do this. You know, why are they literally the only house on the entire block complaining about them? It doesn't matter how many times you take somebody's trash out. If you're partying until three in the morning, somebody else is going to complain. Right. It doesn't matter that Scooney is going over and banging you every afternoon. Right. The fact that they had Mick Lovin as the guy where his entire character was, he had just a monster penis. Yeah, it was a big Romeo, you know, Lothario character. That was pretty mm-hmm. funny. Pretty funny, yeah. <laughs> He's just this scummy-looking guy who just happened to have a big penis. Or the or the uh, the time when they went in front of the dean and he, the, I forgot the character's name. Who Garf? Garf. Oh yeah, yeah Garf. I, I just ate a pot brownie. <laughs> I don't know. It seemed like a good idea at the time. I love her, her crackback. I am yeah. literally the opposite. Of the person that you should be telling that to. <laughs> You're lucky that's not two strikes right there. Uh, but no, I mean, honest, it, Neighbors was better. I wasn't expecting a lot when I went in, and I got a lot more character development. I got a lot more, a lot more out of the movie than I was expecting to. And I do have to say that Stella, uh, Elise, and Zoe Vargas, the little girl, was freaking adorable. Oh, oh yeah. Beautiful the, baby. Adorable oh. baby. Yes. And, and the opening scene when they're on the chair in the middle of the living room and the baby's just like, she's looking. Oh, all, yeah. all, all she can see is shapes. Yeah. Her, two shapes her around, fucking. Her she, and, and the very end. Did you guys watch the credits? Or Was the, there a post-credit scene? Uh, there was not a post-credit scene, but when they dressed uh, Stella up. As oh, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, the baby calendar. Yeah, yeah, that was fantastic. So, but yeah, yeah, this is not going to crack my top ten comedies. However, I mean, I ended up paying for a rental on this one, and sometimes I do that for the show, and I I want my time and money back. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one has convinced me, even though it was not just amazing. I'm I'm gonna see Neighbors too. There, I probably will too now. I probably will also. The uh, sorority rising, and there is actually a so- neighbors three zombies rising. Oh no! Which is ju- it's just a short, but <clears throat> I mean, and and you know what else? I look at this as kind of a theme on this one. Like I kind of enjoyed this one, but I'm looking at the movies who's in in IMDb that people who also like this also liked uh, Twenty One Jump Street. You know, people also that was, like that was this. A fun movie. Yeah, horrible bosses. That was a really good movie. We're the Millers. Have you guys seen that one? Yeah, That's... that one. I liked that one much more than I thought I would. I there was there was a lot of really funny scenes in that movie. Yeah, there really was. 
I mean, and then Ted, which we have to do. No, a no, Ted. no regrets, huh? Not even one letter. Do <laughs> <laughs> we? We still have to do the Ted versus uh, Flash Gordon. <laughs> that makes no sense, dude. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Sam Flash. Jones, man. Sam Jones. Sam Jones. I just watched it this weekend. I got two words for you. Sam Jones. <laughs> yeah, right now you are the guys doing Pacino at the uh, <laughs> at the party. <laughs> you guys are all I hear is hooah. Hooah. <laughs> That's not even him. That's <laughs> Ezekiel twenty five seventeen. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, so have we uh... I hate I hate Mondays. Oh yeah, I hate Mondays too. <laughs> Do some cat stuff. Lick, lick yourself. <laughs> lick yourself. Man, I love fucking with you when you're high. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, have we milked this wife dry? <laughs> so. ah. Move on to our closer. Yeah, All right. We only got 2% left. I would definitely, definitely say that I'm a thumbs up for both of these movies. Absolutely. Yeah. Thumbs up for both of them. Surprise, I'm, I'm surprised at myself for having a thumbs up for the uh, for the for, for neighbors. I wonder what Joel would say for neighbors. Well, if you'd like to let us know what you would say, like maybe you're in the audience that hated neighbors, uh, give us a call. Let us know and let us know why. It's a seven zero eight now wrap. That's seven zero eight six six nine nine seven two seven. Right. And uh, if you'd like to listen to some of our older stuff, remember it's on iTunes, Stitcher, Blueberry, and uh, TalkShoe. And for next week, we are talking about computers. Computer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We haven't done a tech show in a while, and we're going to talk about uh, computers from the early days, all the way back to Apple IIe, uh, all the way up to the PCs we're using to record these shows. Yeah. Can we talk about TRS-80s? We are going sure. to talk about TRS-80s, and we're going to talk about my the fact that my first computer was an Atari. Nice. Yeah. My, yeah. First, my first was an 8088. Ooh. <laughs> and you want to know what mine is? Tune in next week. <laughs> Ooh, teaser. You know what Joel's is? He's still using it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, Joel, yeah. Joel's with an Etch-A-Sketch. Yeah. So if you have any ideas, if you guys ever want to call us and let us know what show you think we should do, we appreciate it because it'll take a little bit of the uh, pressure off of us to come up with new ideas. So uh, definitely call us at 708-NOW-RAP. Already did that. We did that. <laughs> All right. So leave us a review on iTunes. Have we done that? No. <laughs> Let's do that. So so the then was Animal House. Let's talk about Animal House. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You shall be called Pinto. <laughs> Why? Why not? Why not? All right. Good night, everybody. <laughs> good night, guys. Whoop. Made him break. You what? No, now he's back. You got all twangy. Once you heard and then him. you kind of phased in and out, and I thought I heard you say hand job. <laughs> Which is kind of concerning because we were talking about Girl Scout cookie cereal. <laughs> well, you don't know what I do for Girl Scout cookie cereal. Well, maybe I have do. a rough idea now. <laughs> <laughs>